Our Bible reading this morning is from 1 Kings chapter 17 and it's verses 8 to 24. Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Serapath in the region of Sedan and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid, go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain to the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For that jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry. In keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah, some time later the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her in his arms. Sorry. And carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, Have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Amen. Thanks for that, Fred. Love that story. Oh, those stories, two stories that are moulded into one, isn't it? Before, before I start, um, something that's been uh, big in the news that I think is right to, to just to touch on very briefly, I'm not going to go into depth of it, is uh, the Israel Folau um, controversy that's going through um, our news. And regardless of where you stand 
on what Israel Folau did, um, and I know there'll be differing opinions. We've got a big church and a church that has differing opinions. Regardless of where you stand, I think we need to be praying for Israel Folau. Because what it's almost moved beyond the issue that it started with, and now it's becoming an issue of speech and of freedom of speech. And so if we're to be able to stand up as people of faith in our community and say that we love Jesus as Lord, and this is what I believe, then we need to be praying that this case that Israel Folau is putting forward is one that um, is heard. So be praying for Israel Folau. Be praying for the the Christian community that is around him uh, at this time. I'll leave it at that. Um, You might have uh, ideas and thoughts on that yourself. Um, Feel free to to come and chat about that as well. um, You almost can't look anywhere, especially on Facebook. If you've seen on Facebook, you can't look on Facebook without getting an Israel Folau thing. And there's so many different opinions. So um, it's good to have that. The other thing I need to do this morning is to say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Because my roses are now... Can I have that first slide up? Have we got the, the slide, um, Dawn? Let's go to the next one. My roses were looking like, can you see that? Just like a, like a bush. And then Jasper cut them back. Jasper and Solari, I didn't do it, to be fair. But Jasper and Solari cut them back. And I got told after our service uh, last week that uh, the 1st of July was the right time to cut them back. That's tomorrow. So if you've got roses, get out there tomorrow. Get out there and cut them. Rain, hail or shine, just get out and cut your roses. But you also got to cut them back 70%. I said, 70%, that's crazy. 70, but that's what we did. Oh, well, that's what Jasper and Solari did. Cut them back 70%, and now they look like sticks in the ground. Um, <laughs> so it's a, it's, a, it's a matter of faith now. Faith that, uh, that these roses are actually going to come back again. Um, and I know that we've got some avid gardeners out there that will continue to tell me that in a few weeks, months... Months, months, they'll, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll blossom and grow again. So thank you, avid gardeners of Kilsai South. Um, I know we've got good gardeners because I see them. They come on a, is it a Wednesday there. The, um, people are in here just uh, doing things around the garden, and it's fantastic. So um, if, you've, if you've never been part, if you're a gardener and you'd love to get a part of it, um, I don't, I'm not even sure who, who the head of Nina Thomas, maybe? Um, I don't know. Um, there's a whole lot of Liz Simons. Have a, have a chat to Liz, um, avid gardeners of, of Kilsyth South. It's very good. Um, yeah, well, that was just where I wanted to start. Anyway, thanks for that. <coughs> um, I, I do love seeing the results of the garden, and, and we'll, we'll keep our rose updates going so that you can, you can see where we're going and, and how uh, that all works. Um, ha- have you ever been in a situation where something's just clicked for you? Have you ever had that scenario where, where you might have had a whole lot of training or you had a, a whole lot of um, input into it and you haven't quite got it and then all of a sudden it's just clicked? Have you had that situation? Yep. Oh, good. Someone has. That's good. Um, I have. I've had it twi- probably more than twice, but twice that I can remember. And the first one was learning to drive a car. I started off uh, drive, like learning to drive with the driving structure on a manual car and I just couldn't get it. I couldn't get the friction point between the, the clutch and the accelerator. Just couldn't get it. We were constantly... And I reckon the poor, the poor instructor must have been looking at me going, what's wrong with this guy? <laughs> just couldn't get it. He taught me all the theory, but the practice wasn't working. And then one night, it just clicked. I wasn't driving. I was having a dream. I, it just clicked in a dream. And I literally learned to drive that night while I was dreaming. That 
it just all worked. I got in the car the next uh, time with the instructor. He said, oh, well, you've done a lot of practice over the last night. I said, I haven't touched the car. I haven't been in the car. And he said, how did you learn? I said, I had a dream. Like, literally, it just clicked overnight. I had this dream, and now I can drive. Crazy, but it just clicked. The other one was... Um, the other one was when I was at university and I was learning uh, like computer programming. And computer, who, who, who's done computer programming? Who did computer programming like 25 years ago? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, I learned C. Anyone else learn C? Is C even a thing now? It is. It's still there. It is. C is a, a computer programming language. And so we're, there's a whole bunch of us that are trying to work out these programs that we had to do for, for university. And, and you just go through, and you miss, a, you miss a comma or a colon or something like that, and the whole thing's just a mess. And so you're sitting there looking through it. and look, for, for, for weeks, we'd do this essay or assignment where we had to program whatever it was and just couldn't find the, 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 the small problems that were in. And... I just remember looking through this program again after probably the 15th time, going, this is a mess. I don't know how to do this. Went away, came back the next day and went, it just looks different now. It just clicked. It just happened. And I was able to go, I know how this works. I know what happens here. And it just clicked for me and the program was done. It was good. It's just clicked. I wonder if you've ever had those times where it's just clicked for you. I wonder what happened. I wonder where it went. I wonder if there's been a time where you struggled to figure out something and then all of a sudden it clicked. This morning as we continue to look at Elijah's life, we're going to see how the Elijah that, um, that, that received that training that we talked about last week in Kerith, how it all clicks into place for him when he gets to this new place called Zarephath. The learning to, to totally depend upon God for his provision in Kerith, um, that, that I'm going to do this, I'm going to go and do what you say, even though it doesn't look like the best idea, God, is recalled this morning in two vital moments. One where he asked for some food from a, a lady who has got nothing, and the second when he helps this family out with this lady's dead son. And in these moments that Elijah, he, he, must, he must have just clicked. He must have recalled the faith that he was receiving from that time in the, in the Kerith sort of ravine and is further deepened by God's faithfulness to do something totally out of the ordinary. So let's pray and see what we can learn of these faith times that just seem to click for Elijah. Let's pray. Our God, we just pray that this morning, as we listen to your word, that you give us truths that we may live out into our life, that we may grow to know you more and live out our faith to see your generosity um, in and beyond, not just ourselves, but the people that we interact with on a daily basis. Thanks, Lord. Amen. So last week we met, we met this, this fellow Elijah. Most powerful, uh, Elijah, who, who went and spoke to the most powerful man in the land, Ahab. And he said that because of the way that you're worshipping other gods and not Yahweh, not your God, there will be no rain in the land for, well, until I say it again. 
It's a pretty bold way to approach the most powerful person in the land, isn't it? But that's what Elijah did. But then we saw that Elijah probably wasn't ready to take on all the things that he needed to take on. So God said, now go away and I'm going to put you into sort of a spiritual boot camp, I suppose. I'm going to send you off and, and put you into training, preparation for what is to come. And as we heard last week that we finished our verses in verse 7, and we heard verse 7, it said, the brook dried up. The brook dried up. Now, Elijah doesn't move until the brook dries up because there's been no rain. He didn't move until the word of the Lord came to him. But the word of the Lord came to him after the brook was totally dry. Imagine you're in that situation and you see the brook growing, going down a little bit in its levels. You start to see it emptying out a little bit. And you think, all right, God, now it's probably time to send me on. I can see that I've probably got a week water left, maybe. Let's send me on now. Where do you want me to go now? Oh, God, I'm going I'm to try and figure out what that might look like for myself because I can see the brook's drying up and in, in a week's time. It's, or, or I'm going to just say the word because I know that I can say the word and the water will come back. But Elijah didn't. The brook dried up. And sometimes we expect God to answer our prayers or to direct us when the brook's actually full of water, don't we? When there's no stress or fear or about what is to come. But when the brook gets dry, what do we do? Do we take it upon ourselves to do something about it? It didn't work out so well for King Saul, did it? He couldn't wait for God, so he took his things into his own hands and his kingdom was stripped away from him. Elijah, he kept trusting in God even though the brook had dried up. Elijah kept trusting in the God that kept feeding him faithfully until the water had all gone. It's a test of obedience for Elijah. And, and then God said, go. So why wouldn't he just go? He'd already observed that God was faithful to him, and through God's faithfulness, Elijah starts to display a faithfulness to God's actions. So, so Elijah goes. He's told to, go, told to go off to this place called Zarephath. Zarephath. And Zarephath has a meaning behind its name, just as we saw last week that, that the other place had a meaning. It, it, and Zarephath means to smelt or to refine or to test, to put through the, the furnace, I suppose, and to test. This was, if, if, if Kareth was, was a place of refining for, for, for Elijah, this was going to make some more. The refining process, if, you, if you've ever gone through the, or heard about the refining process, it, 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 it goes through the hottest of hot fire. A metal will go through the hottest of hot fire to bring the impurities to the surface that they can scrape the impurities off just to be left with the pure metal, be it gold, be it whatever it is. So, so all the iniquities are driven out. So Elijah, hearing that God has taken him in from this ravine, moving him to Zarephath, may not have been the music to his ears that he really wanted. I've just gone through this process, God. I want to go somewhere where I'm going to be useful, and you take me to a place that means refining again. Sometimes we're not in the place where we want to be. Maybe it's physically, maybe it's mentally, maybe it's spiritually. Perhaps we call out for God, move us on from here, God, yet God calls us to stick around. 
Do you ever wonder if that's God's refining you at that time? God's using that space to refine you a little bit, giving you the experience that may not seem like it's overly helpful now, but moving you into a future where that will come to the surface. So Elijah, he moves off to Zarephath, and he's directed specifically to a widow, a widow who's going to provide for him. Perhaps it would have been easier for Elijah to have heard, go to Zarephath, this place of refining, where you'll find a wealthy media magnate or an oil merchant, and go and hang out with them. Go and swim in his pool and enjoy a bit of space in the beauty of what I've created. But no, Elijah is called to go and find a widow. And he arrives there and he sees a widow picking up sticks. Picking up sticks indeed for this widow's last meal before she and her son are ready to die. Well, that's just great. (laughs) She didn't have a stock pantry. It's the middle of a drought that Elijah had called. And she, he's gone to find this lady who's going to be the provider of, her, of his food. If we were to have a choose... Does anyone remember the Choose Your Own Adventure books? Yeah, yeah. I used to love them. I used to go... I, I used to cheat a little bit. You go to the end and find the right... But anyway, um, if you don't know what a Choose Your Own Adventure book is, you sort of read part of the story and then it goes, gives you two or three options and you can choose which option you might want to do. I might, you might have had these options for Elijah. These would have been the options that, that may have been. Elijah meets a poor widow and asks for food. That might be one option. Doesn't sound like a best option. Elijah goes somewhere else to seek someone else who may be able to feed him appropriately. That would have been a tempting option. Yeah, that would have been a really good option. Elijah goes back to, ter- to Terath. Well, well, God's provided for me back there. Maybe God will bring the water again. The options could have been there for Elijah. He could have decided to do something else. Yet Elijah takes the one that probably seems the most unlikely. He takes the one that, from a humanistic point, doesn't look great. But the the scriptures are full of these unlikely scenarios, aren't they? Who would have thought that Noah, building an ark when it's totally dry because a flood is coming, would have been a good thing? Who would have dreamed that Moses, standing before the great sea, would have parted it to let the nations go through? Who would have suggested that Joshua walking around the the walls of Jericho would have won the war? And who would have thought that God sending his son down from heaven to die, not to live and fight the battles, but to die, would have been the way that people may have life in him? Who would have thought? But that's God's way. Because it's not our way. And faith looks towards God's way and not towards the circumstances that sit right in front of us. Elijah's choice, the widow. And he says, bring me a jar of water and a piece of bread. He knew she was a widow. He knew that she had it tough. He would have known that she was poor But God sent him to her to be provided for. So Elijah didn't look at the circumstance in front of him. Elijah acted in faith, keeping his eyes on what God had called him to do. And he believed in the promises of God, regardless of the reality that was right in front of him. 
I read a great quote about God as our provider. It said this, We must never measure God's provision by what we can see. Our need is to learn to look beyond to the Lord through faith. We must never measure God's provision by what we can see. What's in front of us? So we'll go, oh, what's already here? God is providing. Well, God provides beyond what we can see. I wonder if we believe that. That's exactly what Elijah has learnt from his time at, at Cherith. And now putting it into practice here in Zarephath, it's like the training has equipped him and all of a sudden it's clicked. I know what I need to do. So he asks this widow for food, and her response is that, well, can't you see, I'm I'm gathering the sticks, I'm going to make one last meal, and then we're going to die. Can you imagine what she might be thinking? How inappropriate are you? (laughs) Coming into my space, we're just about to die, and you want my last meal. Good one. Yet Elijah had been trained in faith. God told him that's where he'd find this provision. So he got to ask. It's bold obedience, isn't it? It's absolute bold obedience. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. Sometimes it makes others nervous. It's a little bit what Dave was saying, wasn't it, when he said, um, we're going to do it and it's going out there, and he's been amazed at the response. It's bold obedience. Solari does this a, a, a fair bit, and sometimes I, I sit back and go, whoa, Solari, just, just, just hold, the, hold the phone here. And, and we'll be out, and she says, I get a sense that God's telling us that we need to do something for this person. And... Uh, my heart sometimes goes, oh, are you sure? <laughs> but we're on the way to the nice cafe here. Are you sure? And I know that it happens more often than not that God's speaking to Larry in this way, and I go, let's do it. Just the other week, a couple of weeks ago, um, she sensed that God was asking her to buy flowers for a lady whose kids were um, was just screaming through the, through the shops, and this lady looked frazzled, and Solari felt a sense, I need to buy her some flowers. My, my, I wasn't with her, but my sense would have been, just let the poor lady be. <laughs> Don't get in her face. That's the last thing you need to do. Don't get in her face. She just needs to get home and just get the kids out of her, her sight for five minutes so she can... But Solari did what she felt God had called her to do. She went and gave this lady some flowers. And we've just been talking about being a blessing, haven't we? Gave this lady some flowers, and it was the best thing that she could have done. This lady needed that response from someone to say, it's okay. Bold obedience. Elijah showed it by asking this widow a sort of inappropriate question, feed me. (laughs) But he knew that this was what God had directed him to do. And I wonder if sometimes we miss out on the acting upon the direction of God because we're fearful that perhaps we haven't got it right. Are we really hearing God right in that Would God really ask me to make such a bold statement, a bold show of my faith? I wonder if our training's been as such that we can click and make it happen. Elijah had the training, and the practice was starting to click for him. So the woman tells him that there's not enough to make bread for you and her son, yet Elijah knows there's a greater reason So he boldly tells her, what I need you to do is I need you to go home and make a loaf of bread. You can make one for me first and then bring it to me, and then you go and make it for your son and yourself. Then for the rest of the drought, you'll not have any lack of flour or oil. The flour will not be used up. 
the oil will not run dry. How incredible is that? Elijah actually asked the woman herself to make a display of faith in him. She's a foreign woman. Yahweh was not her God. Yet this man who is before him asked her to display faith in Elijah's God. It's bold. And in verse 15, we hear that she does exactly that. She did what Elijah had commanded. She went away and did as Elijah told her. And there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family. Can you imagine how it actually played out (laughs) in this lady's life? She's about to make one last meal. Now she's making it for this man of God that's come into her life. She tips the flour out. She pours the oil in. She starts mixing up the dough. She puts it in the oven. She can smell it all and go on. That smells real good. I'd I'd like to have that last one. I'm going to take it back to Elijah. Goes and takes that meal to Elijah. Gets back into the uh, kitchen and goes, well, maybe I'll scrape the last little bits of flour. Maybe I can make a little, little cake for us. And the flour comes out and keeps coming out. And the oil sort of keeps, keeps pouring, and he makes a cake. Well, that was great. She goes back again, and there's more flour, and it keeps coming out. And day after day after day after day, while there's no water in the land, the oil and the flour never run out. It keeps filling, and it keeps coming. What was meant to be final has now become abundance. What was going to be the end has now become new life. Once again, we're seeing that the provision of God is occurring where faith is being put into practice. The provision of God is where faith is put into practice. Elijah is demonstrating a faith that moves beyond what we would consider reasonable human experiences or circumstances. And now this Gentile woman is doing the same thing. The result of their faith? Well, food, provision. I wonder how the times where God has been training you in your careth moments has become those moments where faith has just clicked. I wonder if you've moved on from those training grounds to where faith is just all of a sudden clicking for you and you're going, I know what I need to do. I think about Solari and my life uh, and uh, the faith that's got us through some of the biggest decisions of our lives. Decisions to give up work. We both gave up our, our jobs in, as newly married and went and moved into study at East Dimension. Decisions to move across to England. We didn't have a backup plan. We just felt this was the right thing to do. Not just to go for it was Solari's sister's wedding that we went originally for, but we felt, no, it's not right just to do that. We're being called to do something more. Decisions to go to Newport Baptist Church and take on the the role as a pastor there, even though I felt that uh, youth ministry was going to be my life, and that was it. And then the decisions to come here, to Kilsai South. I can only say that each step of faith could only be taken because of the provision of God that occurred in the decisions of the past. Each time we've sensed God has been a part of that decision, But we still had to take that step of faith. We still had to step out into the unknown. We still had to boldly walk forward. But we've seen God provide in the past. 
So we have faith that God will provide in the now and into the future. Elijah said to the widow, go and do. And the widow went and did. And she not only made a batch of bread for Elijah, but for her son. And for the days ahead, as they smelt that bread, it was a constant reminder of what God had done for them. You see, human obedience to God's faithfulness leads to continual provision from God. Human obedience to God's faithfulness leads to continual provision from God. Elijah exhibited this great faith and obedience in the light of the impossible. The widow did something that seemed ridiculous, but she went and did it anyway. And the bowl was never empty. The jar was never dry. I wonder how your training in faith is clicking into your life. I wonder where you might need to take a step of faith, trusting that that training is what God's preparing you or prepared you for. Well, it's a good story, but that's not all for Elijah. Elijah might have thought, we got through it, great. We got through that tough faith step, great. But that was just a precursor because as you take steps of faith, we'll see that God's, we see God's provision for sure. But another challenge comes up for poor Elijah. Verse 17 says, sometime later, he'd been living with his family for a while, sometime later, there was still flour, still oil, still provision. Sometime later, something happens and this widow's son becomes sick and dies. Not great, not great for anyone. Um, but the widow's response was immediately to jump on Elijah and, uh, and give blame to him. Verse 18 she says, what, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you, be, did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Wow. How quickly we can forget the action of God. It was God who saved this woman and her son in the first place. That meal would have been her last meal, and they would have died, however long ago that was. It was because of Elijah's promise to keep the oil jar filled and the, the pot of flour full that they're still with them. Though her response was anger directed at him, I'm interested in Elijah's response. You see, Elijah doesn't react to that blame, does he? He actually responds. He realizes that grief can actually cause us to act in irrational ways. And instead of getting defensive, he gets responsive. He says, give me your son. Now, I don't know about you, but it, it, it's something that I think probably affects a lot of us. Because no one likes unfair blame, do they? We don't like to be blamed for something that's directed at us that really wasn't our fault. And there's something in most of us that wants to say to this widow, hold, hold on, you know what, this guy has done a lot for your family. Hold, it's not his fault that, that your son's dead. He's actually saved you. He's given you an insight into who God is. Yet Elijah doesn't do that. He doesn't stand up and say those sort of things. In this moment, Elijah remains Silent. He doesn't go into any fix-it mode with words. Oh, I'm really sorry to hear this. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't do anything that, that needs words. He understands that he just has to take the sun. He doesn't remind her of the provision of God in the past. 
He doesn't try to reason with her or, or to say some prayers for her. He just stays silent and says, give me your son. If we can learn anything from Elijah, maybe this has got to be it. We've been talking about being blessed to be a blessing and to listening to others. In this moment, we learn about Elijah's listening. Elijah wasn't there to fix the situation for this, even though in the end he really does. Well, God does. Rather, regardless of how much he may have wanted to correct her, misguided her, regardless of, of what Elijah may have felt, Elijah kept focus on the hurt woman. Didn't look at his own pride or the, the kicks that he got, unreasonable un, uh, kicks that he got. You know, it's a lesson that I need to continue to learn. And I wonder if you need to as well. Anyway, Elijah takes the dead body, this poor boy, a limp body upstairs into his room. And I wonder if Elijah actually knew what he was going to do next at that stage. I wonder if Elijah, I sort of, you sort of go, all right, you've got this dead body, he's taken up. What is Elijah thinking at this stage? He's in an, again in an impossible situation. Elijah could have very well been asking God, why? Why me, God? What have I done that has meant that I'm in this situation again? I'm holding the body of a dead boy whose life I prolonged. What was the purpose of that? I obeyed you, God, by going and talking to Ahab. I went to Kerith and I was formed by you. I followed your command to go to Zarephath. I've done everything you ask. Why now am I holding the body of a dead boy? What's he going to do now? And in verse 20, we hear those words that Elijah cries out to the Lord. Lord, my God, you've brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing a son to die. Why are you doing it? It's a fair question. I somehow can't stop to, start to, to sort of remember what place he's in. The place of refinement. Zarephath. Remember we started thinking about how, some, uh, how something that we have learnt suddenly clicked into place. I get the feeling this refining process for Elijah is giving him every opportunity for the, the, the time of, of the click to come into place. The rusty faith of a scared prophet is not going to be what is needed when it's time to face this evil king Ahab and his queen again. It's not going to be a prophet, it's going to be a prophet rather, that is refined by the hottest fires that has ever been. And as he holds the body of a small child, maybe those impurities are starting to come to the, the top and are getting washed away. What comes next? What's he going to do? This is the first time in Scripture that anyone has brought anyone back to life from the dead. So what Elijah's doing here, there's no precedent. There's no Resurrection 101 course that he's done. He, uh, he hasn't got a handbook to tell him how to do this. It was unprecedented faith in action. And so the action, I don't know what he was thinking. He drapes himself over the body of this small child. Does it three times. A man of God was not meant to touch the dead. It was an unclean body. Yet he drapes himself over the boy three times. Why was he doing that? Well, who knows? Perhaps there is some sort of meaning. There's some people that might have some ideas, but we don't really know. But what we do know is Elijah cries out to the Lord, drapes himself across this dead body, and asks God a massive faith question. 
Because God, he's seen, he's seen his faith has provided, has, has been the catalyst for God's provision. And he asked God this massive question. Bring this lad back to life. And the Lord hears Elijah. And the boy is brought back to life. Imagine the elation in the household. Imagine the joy of, of the reunited son and mother. Imagine the praise that Elijah would have been giving to his provider. Indeed, those moments of building in Kerith have suddenly clicked into place with the bread incidents at Zarephath, but now into this stage where he said, bring this boy back to life. I believe it. Now this is a prophet that you think might be able to take on Ahab because beyond a shadow of a doubt, Elijah's faith is now being actioned. But the reality is, it's not Elijah's action that brought the boy back to life. It was God's action, wasn't it? Although his, his training allowed him to display an increased amount of faith, it was an incredible action of God that made this happen. And the reality of, of God is that nothing is impossible with God. Miracles are God's work on earth. There are too many cases you'll be able to tell me stories of times where, where you've heard of healings or diseases cured or, or only an action of God can explain it. You'll be able to tell me them. And I think the reason for this action of God here comes in verse 24. It's the last verse we read. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is truth. Through the faith of the man who was bold enough to approach King Ahab and tell him that rain's only going to come back when I say it, through the, man, the faith of the man who depended upon ravens to bring him food, to the one who spoke bread and oil to never run out, to the one who brought this lady's son back to the life, through Elijah's faith in God, this woman turns her faith to Elijah's God. When we first meet this lady in verse 12, she addresses God to Elijah as your God. Your God. It wasn't her God, this was Elijah's God. Yet in verse 24, Elijah's God is now the Lord. And for this, this lady, this widow, the Lord is the truth. For those of us who know Jesus personally, we have a truth that so many others don't understand. They just shut out. There is a truth that through Jesus Christ we have every provision that we need. Elijah's God was personified in Jesus Christ in order that in faith in him, we may share that truth to others that we come across. When people see that Jesus in you, people want to know the truth of Jesus themselves. When people see faith lived out in big ways, bold actions of faith, see that they, see, they start to see the provision of God interact with the faith of those who know him. They want to know about it. This is a truth that is for all, that Jesus Christ's death and resurrection is the provision of life for every one of us. I wonder how bold we are at living out that action in the world. Now, we started with Elijah this morning, faithfully going across to this place called Zarephath, the refining furnace. 
We see him faithfully follow God's instruction boldly as he asks a dying woman for her final meal. We see him take the bold steps of taking a dead, uh, the, the dead son of the widow um, to his room and praying over him. And we see God's response to that bold faith that Elijah displayed. A boy came back to life. But that was not all. The boy lived. But through this bold faith of Elijah, through the provision of God because of his faith, the woman came to the realisation of who God is to. Bold faith is inspiring. Bold faith creates a curiosity in those who don't understand it. Bold faith brings forth further opportunities to display bold faith. So as we finish off this morning, I wonder where you have an opportunity to display that bold faith, where the training of faith is starting to click into action for you, that you will step out and display a bold faith that people will see Jesus Christ in you. Let me pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you for the stories that we hear in Elijah and through Elijah's life, stories that are unprecedented, stories of faith that change uh, people's uh, reality and change people's perception about who you are. May we be bold like Elijah. After being in training for however many years we've known you, may we be bold enough to step out in faith, seeking your provision along the journey that others may see you in us. Thanks, Lord, for your word. Amen.